You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. So everybody's working for the weekend. You know, we're a funny people, right? I don't know what it is about Mondays uh, to Fridays that we hate so much. We literally use Mondays as our excuse to be rude and obnoxious or just an Eeyore, you know, at work. We literally have uh, hump day in the middle of the week, right? Because, whoa, we're halfway there. That's another song. Y'all can't handle all the music this morning. And so then what, what do we have on Friday? TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And so it, 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 I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we, everybody, I'll tell you why, because everybody's working for the weekend. So my question is, what about the rest, right? Is it God's will for us to only enjoy 28.6% of life? I mean, can y'all imagine being at my funeral, all right? And they say, you know, went that when he had a great life, 28.6% of the time. I mean, he really, he soaked up all 17.2 seconds of every minute he had with his family. Sure, he was miserable. Sure, he was frustrated and generally dissatisfied 71.4% of the time. But man, oh man. Did he shine that other 28.6%? What a full life went had a quarter of the time. God rest his soul, right? It's God's will, in case you didn't know, for us to enjoy all of it, all that time in between. So I want to wrap up this four-part story from Jeremiah 27 to 29 and see what God says about that other 71.4%. And so we're going to start, we take a few verses out each week, but I have to summarize it. Uh, Jeremiah 27, verse 1, part 1, these are the words of God. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. So basically that yoke bar, which is used to pull oxen, uh, ox carts and stuff, it summed up Jeremiah's message. You're going to be in, you're going to be exiled uh, to Babylon with the yoke of Babylon on your neck and you're to bear that. And if you do, you'll be fine. But if you try to cast that yoke off, it ain't going to end well for you. Then part two, Jeremiah 28 verse two, Hananiah has a different word to say. He says, no, 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 no. In two years, all this captivity is going to be over. Uh, And Jeremiah says, man, amen. I hope it's the way you say, but the prophets before us didn't say it. And, uh, but man, we'll know if you're telling the truth, if it comes true. And then God, you know, had a message for prosperity prophet Hananiah from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 28 verse 15, part three. Jeremiah, the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord hadn't sent you, and you've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'll remove you from the face of the earth. He's talking about two years, everything's going to be fine. He says, no, in a year, you're going to be dead because you've rebelled against the Lord. Verse 17 there says, in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Fast forward to Jeremiah 29, verse 5. Part four, we see Jeremiah sending these letters out to the exiles who are in Babylon. These are the children, the people of God in exile. And he says in verse five, 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your uh, diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Jim Camferdam to come and ask God's blessings on this message today. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so glad to see everybody here today. Before I say the prayer, I'd like to read a verse from the Bible. This is James 1:17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love and blessings are consistent even when our circumstances are not. Let us pray by our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray for Pastor Went today as he delivers the sermon. Lord, please work in and through him, speaking straight into our hearts with nothing less than the conviction and motivation and life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Well, for those that are new here, we've we've this is kind of a mini series within a wrap up of a larger series on deep fakes. But we've spent the last four weeks just to catch you up covering silver lining number one: God's ways are right. That means His decisions are higher than our understanding. His decisions are just in ways we may not see. Then silver lining number two: God's win is perfect. His timing. His timing is often concealed from us, but his timing is actually part of the, the cure. So we need to trust God's win. Silver lining number three, which we talked about last week, is God's word is certain. We must believe the spoken, inspired, and written word of God. And there in Jeremiah 27, verse 2, it said God spoke to Jeremiah, but then Hananiah claims in the very next chapter God spoke to him too. So what's the difference? Well, besides Jeremiah's prophecies coming true. We looked at a whole lot of evidence last week that showed that we should do more than just believe. We need to secondly pay attention to the spoken, inspired, written word of God. God was warning his people that all this bad stuff that's about to happen is because of one primary reason, right? Jeremiah 29, 19, because they did not pay attention to my words, now, Daniel paid attention to his words uh, years later, toward the end of that 70 years in exile. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, he perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jeremiah. That is 70 years. So because Daniel picked up the same scriptures that we have in our hands today, not literally, but like the same text, translated now into English for us, but he picked up that same word of God and he read it and it sent him into repentance. He was like, hey, we're about up. We're almost out of this exile, you know? And so it caused him to repent of his own sin and to call out 
in prayer for his people to, to repent uh, for all the sins of his nation. Daniel 9, verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Pay attention and act. <laughs> Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So God's ways are right. God's win is perfect. God's word is certain. And today, silver lining number four, we're going to wrap this up with uh, God's work is now. Now, besides uh, praying for our wicked cities and our wicked counties and nations and so forth, the places that we live, as followers of Jesus, as followers of God, we still have a lot of living left to do, right? So, and we're gonna, we have to do it in these treacherous places. We can't just throw our hands up in the air and go live in some holy huddle and, and protect ourselves fully from all this outside wicked world. And I try not to judge people who are like preppers, you know, people who stockpile resources in case things get bad. You know, some of us may be headed to their house one day. <laughs> but the New Testament, but the New Testament church, just listen, in the New Testament church in the book of Acts was being openly slaughtered. And we didn't see them. I mean, I'm sure some of them hid out in caves, but we don't see them hiding. We see them facing. We see Stephen proclaiming the truth in the midst of all that. We're meant to multiply and equip ourselves and our children and our children's children, the next generation, in more than just how to survive the wicked world we live in. We want them to thrive in a fallen world because God's work is now or never. And so first from God's challenge to the people through Jeremiah's letters, we see our command to first settle in, but don't settle down. Settle in, but don't settle down. Jeremiah 29 verse uh, 5 says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Man, come on, get after it, <laughs> right? Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage. So it's, it's, it's going down through generations that are going to be born while they're in exile, 70 years. So he's saying, be fruitful, multiply, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you're going to find your own welfare. So settling in means at the very least coming to grips with the reality of the world around us. We cannot complain forever. <laughs> That's one of the reasons we're in this series starting out the new year so that we wouldn't be such grumbly complaining Christians about all the junk that's in front of us and that we're living in. We're familiar with statements like you're either part of the problem or part of the solution, right? Lead, follow, or get the heck out of my way. Uh-huh. Or the one I like so much by LeBron James' mother. Don't talk about it. Be about it. All right? Uh, there's only doers and donors in this world. And so you got to decide which one you want to be. Jeremiah 29, those followers of the Lord Yahweh, those children of God who wish to obey God are not being lazy by settling in uh, to their forced extended stay in Babylon. They're actually the greatest doers uh, of all. J James 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the, of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you hear and don't do the things you hear, then you just literally deceive yourselves. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, isn't that interesting that law and freedom are put in the same sentence? 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So settling in actually takes a whole lot of work. And Jeremiah 29 verse 5 says, you'll find your welfare. And that doesn't mean sitting around doing nothing. Build, plant, eat. And Lord knows marriage and children and all that takes a whole lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears. And just let me uh, pause here uh, and remind us that in the Garden of Eden, this is when everything was perfect before sin had entered the world, before Adam and Eve ever tasted of the forbidden fruit, before childbirth became painful, before man had to sweat through thorns and thistles and to, to work the land, there was still work. Work and rest are not part of the fall of man. All right? Remember, God modeled work and rest, though he didn't need to rest, when he created the world. We read in Genesis 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2, 20, but, the, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Uh, Genesis 2.18, uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You don't help anybody without working, especially if that other person's your husband. <laughs> right, Miss Peggy? <laughs> Amen. All right, Genesis 3 verse 17 says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat uh, uh, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your uh, face you shall eat bread. So God modeled work and rest. And God placed man and woman on the earth to work. And just because it became painful to have children. And just because we had to fight thorns and thistles. And just because we have to work by the sweat of our brow to get the land to produce crops. Doesn't mean that multiplying and working is bad. They're actually from God. God works and he created work. So settling in to a certain location, putting down roots, you know, investing where you're nesting is, is not lazy. It's actually a commission for us to settle in, right? We've commissioned. You know, God literally commands us to do this. I don't know if you realize this, but in Jeremiah 29, verse 5, uh, there's the words build, live, plant, and eat. They're all in the imperative tense. That means they're a command. They're not a suggestion from the Lord. You should probably try this. It's do this. It's, a, it's an imperative command. That means that they're build, live, and plant, and eat are commanded by God. Did you know that in the very next verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 6, there's five more imperatives. There's nine imperatives that he wants us to do while in exile. Take wives, have sons, take wives, give your daughters. I mean, multiply, do not decrease. He's saying, marry and have kids. Let your sons and daughters marry and have kids and multiply. Settle in, but don't settle down. Don't just sit there, work, make a family. Church, listen, there is never a time or place where God doesn't want you to have a family. And that may be a spiritual church family, which are, you know, sometimes a friend sticks closer than a brother, as the scriptures say. And you may be unmarried, you may be barren, you may be widowed, you may be without children, but that doesn't prevent you from having a family. Uh, I just did a funeral 
uh, Friday of Miss Virginia Harper, sweet Jenny, who used to attend here. And she and her late husband, Bill, had two adopted kids. One of those was there at her funeral. Uh, I have a niece who's not married, but she has five adopted kids that are all siblings. She was going to foster a kid, and it ended up uh, turning into five. And they have a much better life because of her. Uh, my namesake, uh, my full name is actually Winfred, and his name was Winfred Hill, my uncle. He, him and his wife, my Aunt Mary, they couldn't have kids. And though I never knew him, he is my namesake because he adopted my dad. And of course, there's the spiritual family faith and the children we have in ministry and invest in. The point is that multiplication is one of the main scenes of the garment of the entire Word of God. It's woven into every page. There's no situation or circumstance that nullifies the command to multiply. You're to multiply your family. You're to spread the word of God. You're to expand your knowledge of Christ and his word. You're to invest your financial resources wisely. The ones that God gives you. You're to pour your life into the next generation at every level. You know, there are prisoners who are sentenced to life in prison that have had a greater impact than some of us expanding the kingdom of God from within a jail cell. And here we are free range Christians and we often don't do anything. And that's because of one primary biblical principle, which I hope you understand this morning, and that's that we're to settle in without settling down no matter where we're at. Unless someone, uh, and I, I've thought this, this entire little mini-series, I've thought that somebody is going to think that because we're preaching on Jeremiah and he's saying, submit to Babylon, God told him to submit to Babylon, that some of you are going to think that I'm a pacifist, and I'm not. And I don't think that's what this passage is saying. Romans 13 verse 1 does say, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, but there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. But keep reading in that same passage, and in verse 3 it says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So their rulers are meant to be scary for bad conduct. But y'all know as well as I do, there have been in the past, there is right now, and there will be in the future, rulers who were and are a terror to good conduct. And in, in fact, some of our own rulers and in our nation today, we sit under a government right now that has laws and rules and regulations and criminal effect that are juxtaposed to the very words of God's word. And I'm not talking about stuff that you have to mince words about. I'm talking clear things. And so I don't want you to think that, that we are just to submit under every situation. God told Israel to submit, so they did. I'm trying to teach us how to have joy in the midst of it. Exodus 1 says the insecure king of Egypt tells the Hebrew midwives to uh, Shipra, and I can't remember their name, starts with P, but she told him to, uh, he told them to kill the boys. When they're helping these Hebrew women give birth, kill, if it's a boy when they come out, kill them. And it says in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. First Kings 18 verse 3, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets and she was killing all the prophets of the Lord and commanded that they all be killed, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Queen Esther, she could have lived out her days as the king's favorite girl. 
right? And had it easy, taking it in, had everything lavishly that she wanted in the king's house. Literally, I think he's told her, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Esther 4.16 says, she says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I will do the same. I and my young women will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Then a little snitch over in Daniel chapter 3 verse 12 runs and tells the king, oh, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O oh king, pay no attention to you. <laughs> They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, right? And God obviously honored that. We read that the wise men in Matthew at the birth of Jesus disobeyed Herod. Matthew 2.12 says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, though he commanded them to return, they departed to their own country by another way, right? Acts 5, verse 27, we read, uh, and when they had uh, brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. As a matter of fact, in the Hall of Faith, that's the place in the Bible over in Hebrews 11 where uh, men and women are highlighted for their faith only. <laughs> we find Moses, his own parents, were praised by God for disobedience to the king's command. Hebrews 11:23 says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't scared of the law. They were going to break it. So church, I'm not preaching on false prosperity prophet Hananiah just to say, do what you're told in all circumstances. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. ESV even says it's true that those governing authorities that exist have been instituted by God. That is true. We need to respect. Even if your dad's a louse of a father, you should respect the position of fatherhood because it was put on earth by God. That's why children are to honor their father and mother, even if their father and mother aren't good people, right? And so it's the same with governing authorities. But earthly authorities will ultimately be superseded by the rule of Christ. I got news for you. American authority will come to an end. Every authority will come to an end except the eternal kingdom of heaven. Daniel 2.44 prophesies that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So church, the principle of Jeremiah 27 to 29 is that we must grow where we're planted. That's the principle here. We cannot keep longing for some perfect environment, which is the very point in this fourth silver lining. God's work is now. So settle in, but never settle down. Second, learn to love the in-between. Uh, when Vicki and I first got married, uh, I was at attending my third college and uh, working at FedEx in Tupelo. I go to school in the morning, drive home, go up, up to work. And on my way up to school one day, I was listening to the radio and there was a interview with an old, about an older pastor. He was up in years and they asked him, hey, uh, 
pastor so-and-so, if, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? And he sat there and pondered for a minute. He goes, well, I guess, um, well, that's Saturday. I guess uh, I work in my garden usually on Saturday, so I guess I'd be working in my garden. And, and his, his point was that if we're daily walking with God, uh, you know, whether we're at a kid's soccer game or sitting at a table sharing a meal as a family or on a mission trip at the far reaches of the earth or on a beach or sharing Christ with a co-worker, God's work is now. That's precisely why God says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, if you're hitting a golf ball or sharing Christ, if you're reading scriptures or, or coaching basketball, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that means that uh, if you're walking with the Lord daily, you know, you obeying your parents, you running a company, you feeding cattle, you marrying and making a family, you making your child's bed and picking up those razor sharp little Legos on the ground, right? All that stuff done in submission to God. Listen to me, church. It's no less valuable than the sermon I'm delivering to you right now. Do you understand that? It is not more holy to preach a sermon than it is to get your tail out of bed and go to work and, and change oil, change tires, make a bed, feed a kid. It's no different. Not if your heart's in the right place. And the problem is that we don't think of God's work as all this mundane stuff. So we devalue 75% of our lives because everybody's working for the weekend. I want y'all to just walk down this road with me in your minds. I'm just going to pick a random guy out of the Old Testament. I could have picked anyone. I'm picking Elijah, all right? Uh, because his, his, the years of his life were easy to follow, okay? You know, he did all kinds of cool stuff in the Bible. Uh, of course, empowered by God and a heart full of faith. But he was born around 900 B.C., all right? It wasn't until 873 B.C., that King Ahab built this altar uh, in the temple of Baal that God gets all angry about, rightfully so, in 1 Kings 16.32. Then three years later, that's around 867-ish uh, after that, uh, 1 Kings 17 verse 1, Elijah warns King Ahab that God's going to send a drought on the land. It's going to be a punishment because he's worshiping Baal. He's worshiping these other gods. So, you know, Elijah has to run off and be fed by the ravens after that. And um, all this kind of, all this stuff happens. So up to that point, it's like 33 years of living. But we only have, if you add up the days that we actually know about, if you put them side by side, it's just a fragment of Elijah's life, right? We see him do more miracles. We see him raise the widow's son from the dead in 1 Kings 17, verse 17. And there's a dozen or so other highlights in Elijah's life, this true story of his life, spread out over 20 years until the Lord took him to heaven on a chariot of fire. So have you ever wondered what he did in between? He had to get up, had to use the bathroom, had to go find something to eat multiple times a day, had to go find water. I don't know that he didn't have a, a garden, a crop. I don't know. 
But my point is, there's, he, he had a literal mountaintop experience, but there's a whole lot of days in between. And there's, my point is that there's joys to be found in the in-between, between the weekends, between vacations, between life's highlights, between your spiritual birth of faith, no matter what age that happens, and between eternity and heaven. We are living in between. In between the weekends, in between birth and death, and in between heaven and hell. We're living in between that space. And we need to train our souls to do more than to simply endure the Monday to Friday space. We need to equip our hearts to enjoy the in-between. And I want to just read you a poem about this to close out this time. Then we're going to go into the Lord's Supper. It's, this poem is actually called The In-Between. Uh, life's highlights we all talk about are born along our daily route. And if we live for Friday night, we rob routines of their delight. We forfeit sitting for a meal and ask that vacays come and steal teeth brushing and backpacks and shoes tied and lunch snacks. You cannot find we've been struck blind to joys unearthed in weekly grind. So praise God for our getaways, for dinner dates and extended stays. But don't forget the in-between where life is lived and earth is mean. This is where our hearts are trained in faithfulness and heaven's gain. So take the garbage to the street and thank God for your able feet and grab some milk and buy some bread and praise the Lord your family's fed and ace that test and run that race and remember all that happy space between the parties amidst the pain from summer sun to springtime rain. God's, God gives us life we haven't seen, the pleasures of the in-between. So learn to love it. God's ways are right. His win is perfect. His word is certain. Praise God, his work is right now. So settle in, but don't settle down and learn to love all that space in between. And then you'll be better equipped to be faithful in a frightful forecast. Jesus came for the greatest purpose of all time. <laughs> and uh, we don't, in many ways, it's, it's interesting, just like Elijah didn't really start his earthly ministry until around 30, same was true for Christ. And he had the greatest purpose on earth, but he still had to get up and eat. I would imagine he probably worked with his dad as a carpenter, son, apprentice, grabbed that, grabbed that saw, grabbed that stick, whatever it was. There was a lot of in-between in Jesus' life. But he knew, unlike us, if you want a perfect picture of, uh, of what it means to be faithful in a frightful forecast, it was Jesus. Jesus wasn't exiled to Babylon. He was exiled here. He lived in heaven. <laughs> He was exiled from perfection to imperfection. A world he gave perfect that man screwed up. And he came down here to fix it. He knew how he was going to fix it the whole time he was here. And he still got up every day and ate and smiled and laughed and healed. Every day knowing the cross was where his end was at, right? Our, our beginning was at. And he did it every day. So perfect picture. And that's why today we remember his body that was beaten for us, his blood that was poured out willingly for us. I want to read a passage 
uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, just ask God. If you're a believer, ask God if there's any unconfessed sin in your heart that you can speak to him about in your heart right now. Um, he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. So we should come boldly and say, God, forgive me. And for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the, the, the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. So would you stand? I'm going to pray in just a moment. There's five, I believe, stage, you know, Lord's Supper tables spread out around the place. If one were to run out, you can get, make your way to another one. But what you can do, especially if you're a guest, you may not know this, uh, in the Lord's Supper trays, there's, we put our cups on top of each other. The bottom cup is dry. It has the bread in it. And the top cup has the wine or juice. And so you grab both cups Take them back to your seats, and then you may want to just spend a moment in prayer or, uh, or repentance, whatever you may need to do. And then you may want to explain to your children or grandchildren who are with you what's going on. And then just take the Lord's Supper at will. And then after that, I'll have you stand back up for our time of response. That's the time where if you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and make this this church if you uh, make this church your home so you can serve, not be a I would say pew potato, but we got you'll just be a chair potato now because we don't have pews anymore. But uh, and then it would also be a time if you want to call on the name of the Lord and publicly profess that. Maybe you've done that years ago, but you've never been baptized and you want to confess that publicly. That's a time to respond after the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for uh, the joy of the in-between. And God, uh, we got to get up. We got to get dressed. We got to shave. We got to get haircuts. We got to feed dogs. Whatever it is we got to do, we got to do it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would not let us begrudge the daily grind. Um, I mean, I just saw a Grizzlies game Friday, and our motto is the grind. And so, how much more spiritually should we be people who grind and enjoy it and learn to train our hearts to to enjoy the in between space of life? Um, whether it's tying a kid's shoe, whether it's listening to someone pour their guts out to us, you know, Lord, let us be people of the in-between. God, I pray that as we take your Lord's Supper now, of all the space in the world, there's none more important than that time that you spent on earth on that cross for us. And so we celebrate that now because it allows us to have forgiveness. And so we remember you today, not in mourning because you're not dead. <laughs> we remember you in faith that you have come, you have died willingly, and you've been risen, you've risen from the dead and you've ascended into heaven and you're coming back to get us. And so we celebrate the life you lived and the life you gave, broken body, poured out blood so that we could trust you and be saved. I pray you'd bless our time around these elements in our time of response. I pray that if there's anyone here today that hasn't called on your name, they would just cry out to you and say, God, I need you. Save me. Forgive me. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.